Welcome to Based Liberty. I'm your host, Darren Wisely. I'm not politically correct, and I'm not afraid of the consequences for the things I say. I'm simply here to speak the truth as I see it from where I'm standing and let the chips fall where they may. Welcome to Based Liberty, fellow thought criminal. Welcome to Base Liberty episode 71. Darren Wisely here. I've got a little bit of a different type of show for you today. I've been wanting to do an episode on democracy, the God that failed, because it's just very, very insightful. This is Professor Hans Hermann Hoppe's, what's considered his most controversial, probably his most notorious work as well. So who better to bring on the show than Jared, the guy who runs Hoppian.org? I know Jared through Twitter, he's a real bright guy, but this is actually the first time we've ever spoke, so it's kind of cool talking to him for the first time live here on the show. But this episode is a lot longer than usual, just a heads up. Some people actually have requested kind of longer form content. Others might not like that, but hey, it's my show, too bad. If you don't like it, uh, go watch Rachel Maddow or something. <laughs> so Jared and I touch on democracy a bit. But we kind of get off onto a lot of different topics, which I actually think uh, makes it more interesting. Because if you want to know more about the book, well, just go read the book. Uh, It's not super long, just a little under 300 pages, honestly. Someone wants to borrow my copy, shoot me an email, happy to loan it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. But we touch on all sorts of stuff, how the left has infected the conservative movement. Obviously, the neocons running around everywhere. They aren't conservative at all. They're clearly on the left. Same with the libertarians. You have the left twisting it into this libertine type of thing. And that's why the LP has this reputation as a bunch of jokers. We talk a good deal of history as well. And, of course, we discuss strategy moving forward. But, yeah, you know what? I won't take up any more time. Let's just get rolling with it. So today I have a writer and mastermind at Hoppian.org, Jared, on with me. Hopping.org, of course, is dedicated to furthering the ideas of Professor Hans Hermann Hoppe. Jared is a raging right-wing firebrand. He pulls no punches. He is unabashed in his advocacy for separatism and decentralization and not afraid to speak against leftist infiltration into libertarian institutions in the strongest, and I do mean the strongest, term. He once had a massive following on Twitter, only to be taken away by a permanent ban on his account. And we'll we'll link the new uh, Twitter for you today. But hey, Jared, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on today. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. So today we're going to be talking about uh, Hoppe's what's considered probably his most controversial work, uh, "Democracy: The God That Failed." And uh, first, I wanted to just start out with some background. Uh, so, Jared, what uh, what led you to this particular brand of libertarian philosophy? And kind of how long have you advocated these ideas? So uh, a great segue to that is the book that's actually right behind you that I just noticed, uh, The Betrayal of the American Right. Oh, that yeah. was um, that was instrumental back in the day. And uh, <laughs> Justin Raimondo's book as well. Um, I was actually, I, I'm hesitant to even say this word because these people, have they've become the largest enemy that I could have ever had. And that was neocons. I was a neocon mm-hmm. back in the day. I was, uh, I, I was all about, you know, let's go overseas, you know, we'll kill these people. We'll, they'll be done and we'll be done. And then we can go back to living our lives, you know? Right. But that, right. as we know, that, that is not the case. Um, yeah. 
and and to go even further into that, neocons are the right wing's largest enemy to ever exist. They are not right wing. They've never been right wing. Uh, mm-hmm. That Twitter, that that little Twitter conversation that we had uh, yesterday evening about the the Menshevik uh, infiltration of the right, mm. yeah. Is uh, if if anybody really wants to get to know about those things, they should definitely check out the Betrayal of the American Right and also yeah. Justin Raimondo's book. Can't remember the title at the moment, but those yeah. two will lead you down the right path for sure. And we're also, I think, going to have an article soon about this called the Neocon Connection. So look out for that. Yeah, I think that's awesome, and and that's one thing I try to push a lot because I'm in a very like rural, uh, heavy red area. So you know, most people are against the left, but they don't really know sometimes um, what's actually right wing and what isn't. Because right. you have uh, obviously the neocon takeover and pretty much all conservative media at this point. So, 100%. Yeah, it, it really it really confuses people. It, it it surprises people. Like I'll be talking to you know just regular Republicans and and mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not against. Um, I'm not one of these guys, and it really bothers me that there are libertarians like this, that they'll see Republicans and they'll be like, oh, Republicans, you're just another, you're just a part of the duopoly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it, like these people are Republican because they feel right wing. They want to preserve what seems natural. They they want to they want to further our ideas as well. They just don't know how to do it. And they've been led astray. And the easiest way to get these people on the same page is start explaining these types of things, right? Like we we need to be reaching out to these people because they are, they, they they're the people that we really need to be talking to. And Tho Bishop goes into this way better than I can, but uh, they're, they're the crop that you want to, that you want to harvest, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, it, it always surprises people when I'm like that. That one of the one of the main things they like to say is, "Well, Fox News is the only the only right wing media," and I'm like, um, "Actually, there is no right wing media. The only right wing media is online. Uh, right. What you think of as right wing is is very much just a." Uh, it's it's the it's the scraps from the table, right? Like they mm-hmm. they Fox News has obviously been created as a. Uh, as a uh, kind of like a like the uh, the, the counter operative within the within the media controlled right? opposition exactly they're the controlled opposition mm-hmm. of of media right like oh it's they're so wonderful and they've got all these people and then you see people on there like uh, what was his name Brett Bear and uh, <laughs> oh man what was the Chris Wallace the, uh, Chris Wallace oh my yeah. God like how on earth can you call these people right wing like <laughs> and what reality where they're sitting there advocating for everything that the old right every single thing that the old right wanted to destroy public education we need to preserve public education when did when did that become right wing when did exactly. when did that happen like okay well we need to preserve social security and really what Fox News has become is kind of like a a um like a piece of cheese for the boomer generation, right? Like mm. everything that they, uh, that they think that they could have gotten away with for the last 60, 70 years and everything that the left has pushed into right, the right wing sphere via changing the, um, the, uh, the, what's that called? The window, the Overton window. Over, so, yeah. 
Yeah, so they've shifted the Overton window so much that now these things like Social Security and Department of Education and like, oh, we need to take over the Department of Education. All these kids need to go back to school. Like, right. why, why, do you, why are you doing this? We wanted homeschooling from like yeah. the 1910s. Like, it was yeah. like, don't send your kids to public institutions. Yeah. They'll be corrupted. And that's exactly what's happened. It's, just, it's crazy. But these are the types of arguments and these types of explanations that we really need to get into mm-hmm. with the right and we need to we need to to basically we need to start over again and and that is something that's really given me a lot of hope lately is seeing the resurgence of the anti-war right because yes. the right has always been anti-war i don't right i don't like neocons are not right it, when you mm-hmm. accept that they're not right wing a lot of things come into perspective right like yeah. Because there's been this inherent contradiction or so-called contradiction with right-wing thought that, oh, well, how can you be someone that doesn't oppose that, that opposes state action, that opposes, you know, overspending and, and taxation and then be for billion dollar wars? How, how right. is that possible? Well, it's not possible because that's not right wing. Like, come right. on, guys. And when you start to explain these things, the Trump, the Trump era generation of these people really listen and they really yeah. are open to those ideas. So it's awesome. Yeah. And that, that's one thing, you know, Trump, a lot of his policies he talked about, not that they were all good, but didn't get through. But one of the biggest, uh, I guess, white pills was uh, making it cool to be or at least acceptable to be anti-war on the right. Oh man, it, it's so it's so nice it's so nice to see someone like that. I mean, obviously Trump isn't he he's not he's not a paleo libertarian, right? Like we know mm-hmm. that now, paleo libertarians aren't going out and saying, "Oh, Trump is a paleo libertarian." Right? But he's not John McCain. He's yeah, not George exactly. W. Bush. He's not right. Jeb Bush. I mean, like it, you have to like the the primary problem I see with a lot of libertarians is they like to live in utopia because utopia sounds so wonderful. And it does. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ancapistan sounds great. (laughs) Uh, You know, like that's wonderful. I'd love to live there too. Do you have a ticket? Uh, I mean, we'll we'll get on a plane right now. Unfortunately we do live in reality. And this is something that Rothbard talked is talked about as well is Mm -hmm. that you can't, you can't just be satisfied with talking theory all the time. If you want to, if you want to live in reality and you want to live in Encapistan, you got to make it happen. Right. So That's a great point. Um, so did you create Hopian.org? I did. I am, I am the founding member. Um, I am the sole, uh, I guess I'm the sole funder as of right now. Okay. So everything comes out of pocket. Um, there are lots of really good people that we have with us right now. And they do a lot of good work. We've got a social media um, a chief marketing officer, I guess you could say. Um, I won't mention that person's name because they might sure. not be too happy with that. A lot of a lot of our writers and things like that. We've actually, I don't want to give away anybody's name because they sure. obviously want to stay under the pen name that they gave us. But we actually do have writers that are pretty well known that have submitted things to the website under different pen names. So we're always very happy about that. So just because you see a name on the website that you may not recognize, it's might their writing may sound familiar. So um, lots of it's a, uh, anyway, to, to, to get to why um, as far Mm -hmm. as hopping.org you may have, I'm sure you've seen this and, back in the day on Twitter and social media, social media, it was very, very common to see libertarians 
promote these lines that uh, the Cato Institute and Bleeding Heart Libertarians and these guys that are obviously on the left and may not even be libertarian, they're neoliberals or things like that. They were the, they were the only people out there. They were the ones getting the message out and Mises kind of stood alone and Mises, I love Mises. Don't, I'm never ever going to say a bad word about Mises, but Mises is a very intellectual organization, right? Mm. Um, They promote articles and they do good things. And back in the day, you know, 10 years ago, their social media presence wasn't anywhere near what what it is today. Um, And it was kind of, it was a lonely place on social media if you were paleo, right? Like Mm -hmm. there were, I could probably count on two hands the number of people that I came across during that time that were uh, sympathetic to these ideas, right? So I uh, basically said, I'm done with this. I'm not going to sit here and let all of these blogosphere libertarians that want to promote proud own and, and Marxian style ideas and this individualist style libertarianism. I'm not, I'm not going to handle, I'm not going to take that. Like you're not going to use Rothbard in that vein of discussion and use him as, as your pedestal uh, as a pedestal uh, bust sitting there in the corner and say that he's your inspiration when you're not even pushing his ideas, you're pushing something totally else. So I thought, well, what better way to do this than to, embrace those ideas, embrace the Miesian style, embrace Hans Hermann Hoppe, who over time has become such a controversial figure. Yeah. I don't understand really why. I mean, these ideas go back to Mises. They go to Rothbard. I mean, Hoppe has taken a lot of them to their logical conclusion, but it's not like he's saying anything that these other guys haven't. I mean, um, right. that, Mises, who said way, maybe way worse things than uh, Professor Hoppe about uh, about homosexuality, homo, you know, like uh, gays and things like that. He was yeah. not forgiving funding to, to groups like that. He didn't want to promote that lifestyle. He wanted to sure. restrict that kind of stuff. Um, Rothbard was a a uh, unleash the cops. If you were, if you know that statement uh, from some of his writings, you know, let's get these bums out of here. Let's get them off the mm-hmm. street. Let's crush crime. We don't need that stuff in our society. And people are like, well, why are you using the cops? Like that's, that's a state organism. Well, policing itself is not a state organism, just like fighting fires isn't a state organism, but fire departments and police departments and things like that have been taken over by the state because they realize that those are power institutions. Right. Right. So, so why not say, okay, well, as long as they're going to be there, why don't we have them do what they would be doing anyway? Right. Right. It doesn't make sense to not, it's like, it's like cutting your nose off to spite your face. Let's eliminate <laughs> the cops because, because they do bad things. Okay. Well, if you've got something, if you've got a private police department that wants to come in and you want to fund that and I'll sign up for that service, yeah, I'd sign up for it in a heartbeat, but make sure that the, the state cops don't come in because then there's going to be conflict. Right. But at the same right. time, you can't just say, well, you know, it's going to be complete chaos because that's, that's not what anarchy is. Anarchy isn't chaos. Anarchy is order. And right. that's, um, it's the natural order. And that's right. what we need to get back to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. You know, that you took that initiative to go set that up. Um, I like that website a lot. And I'll make sure to link it uh, in the show notes here for you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, Tho Bishop's really cool. I met him in uh, Texas at the Mises Institute in November. Ron Paul was there. So 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that was real tight. Tho was a really great guy. He really is. And he's mm-hmm. a smart dude too. He, um, you know, I, P, I think people take for granted the differences between being in some of the circles that Tho has been in, um, mm-hmm. namely Ron Paul's inner circle. He's been in Mises is in a circle for a very long time now. Um, he has access to uh, works and articles and things that the general public has never seen. And he's seen a lot of cool stuff and his new, his new venture is really exciting for me, which is the Rothbard Rockwell report, which yeah, back in the day, that stuff was really hard to find. The only place you could really find any of them were like Un's review and things like that. But um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's really exciting to see some of that stuff. And he said that there's even more stuff that people haven't seen before that's going to be coming out. So that's exciting. Yeah. I'm really happy. I'm really excited to go over that. And he, I'm, I am a little, a little perturbed at him because he kind of stole my idea a little bit, but we probably <laughs> had it at the same time, which is to republish a lot of this stuff. So yeah. I'm super happy that this is happening because it's going to expose a whole new generation of libertarians to these ideas. And it's, it's going to cartelize our movement, you know? Oh, well, I'm excited for that. That's really cool. Um, so yeah, today we're, we're talking about Hoppe's uh, Democracy, the God that Failed, uh, published in 2001. And uh, just a little background, if you're not as familiar with Hoppe, he moved uh, from Germany to New York City to study under Murray Rothbard, who we were just talking about, the professor at UNLV, senior fellow at the Ludwig von Mises Institute. And uh, I found this out. I didn't realize this. He spent some time in a fellowship at University of Michigan. Um, I'm from Michigan, so I thought that was kind of neat. But, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, so let's get into democracy. Uh, this book, you know, it really changed the way I, I view the world in a lot of ways. Um, it's pretty interesting. That's why I recommend, you know, everyone read it. And, um, you know, each chapter, Hoppe says, can kind of stand alone there. Uh, the intro, it's really good. It jumps right out you. But, uh, but Jared, how would you sum up, I guess, Hoppe's thesis? So the way that I look at democracy, the guy that failed, is that it's a complete rejection of everything that most people hold dear in, related, in relating to, um, into, into history and the way we organize society and the way that most libertarians really view kind of the outward set of libertarianism. Um, mm-hmm. There are supplementary books that are really good at that as well. Um, you know, getting libertarianism rights, it's small, but it's re- it's a really good, concise book. There are a couple of really good lectures that fall into that as well, which is uh, right libertarianism as a realistic libertarianism. Recommend everybody watch that great speech. But overall, that's what I would say it is, is it's, it's a rejection of the idea that somehow the mob is some kind of great uh, bearer of society, that it is the... Uh, fundamental nature of how human society should be organized and that it is a moral good. It, it, it isn't, it is a, it is a disaster and it is probably worse in many ways than dictatorships. And the reason that I say that is should be obvious if, you know, if the people listening have read the book is that it lends credence to the idea that mob mentality and mob organization is somehow a moral good. And what it really does is it justifies the actions of a dictatorial majority over a minority and gives it some kind of, um, I guess, credence or gives some kind of uh, 
generally good feeling because, oh, I've got a vote. I've got yeah. to, I've got some kind of say. You really don't. Uh, you know, not to say that voting, I, I will, I will say this. I'm not, I'm not the anti-voting guy. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of guys out there that are the anti-voting guys. I, I take Hoppe's approach in many ways, which is don't ever trust politicians. Politicians yeah. are out for their own good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there's no denying that. But when I look at the organizational um, capability of some kind of populist movement, let's take gun rights, for instance, mm-hmm. gun rights since the 1970s have done nothing but expand. We've got more freedom from, from, gun rights advocacy in the past 20, 30 years than we've had since the 40s, since the National Firearms Act. So those types of political advocacy, those types of um, uh, basically using lawyers and attorneys and uh, getting ballot measures and things like that have done a lot of good. That being said, that's ideally not the way that you would have to go about this. But again, we live in reality, right? Right. Reality, we have to work within reality. And I think that those types of movements are great. Firearms Policy Coalition, they literally, I think uh, yesterday, finally got the California assault weapons ban overturned by a judge. Oh, I saw an article. I haven't read it yet, but I want to look into that. I thought I saw something about that. Gavin Newsom that is cool. was, was having an aneurysm about it. <laughs> like, anytime you can piss Gavin Newsom, oh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a wonderful day. And th- this type of political advocacy is important. And I think that mm-hmm. libertarians ignore it at their own peril. Um, yeah. Though makes some great points about like, okay, well, if we're going to talk about political advocacy, I guess we have to talk about the Mises Caucus and the Libertarian Party, right? Um, so there's, as you well know, and many people know, the Libertarian Party has been a, uh, it's been kind of the, uh, what's the nicest way to say this? It's been not, been the, yeah, uh, it's been, it's <laughs> not been the, the best deliverer of the ideas, right? Right. Um, my, my position for a very long time has been the same as Rothbard's, you know, I left, he left the Libertarian Party and, I think the late eighties, early nineties and said, I'm forever grateful that I left that snake of an organization (laughs) full of, you know, egalitarians. And if you've ever read, I think it's in the irrepressible Rothbard where he's uh, talking about uh, this, this situation. And he's like, I left, I left the libertarian party. And before I did, I talked to a couple of well-known leaders and they said, you know, why are you, why do you want to leave? And he's like, well, the party's being infected with egalitarians and, mm-hmm. and these two well-known leaders, which he doesn't name because Rothbard still was trying to be a nice guy. You know, he typically, from what I understand, Rothbard was a pretty, pretty good guy. So he didn't want to talk bad about people generally. He would, but he wouldn't name them by name a lot of times. So these two guys, he basically said, you know, you're infected with egalitarianism. And he's, and these guys said, what egalitarians? Like, why would we ever be egalitarians? That's total. that's a lot. That's a lie. That's a total mischaracterization. And then uh, he's like, well, you know, you've got all these guys that are pushing that Martin Luther King was this great libertarian. (laughs) And Martin Luther King, if you know anything about him, especially from Randy Rothbard, he was a communist. I mean, he was definitely not a libertarian. And after Rothbard left, these two guys both produced articles hailing Martin Luther King as a great libertarian. 
And Rothbard was like, well, this just confirmed what I was afraid of. It's it, it right. was, became a hive of, uh, to use a nerdy Star Wars quote of, of scum and villainy, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it became. I mean, yeah. and that's what it's been for a very long time. And after the Ron Paul movement, um, that's where a lot of libertarians went, unfortunately. And um, it killed a lot of that momentum because the Libertarian Party had taken the approach that Cato had took back in the day when Rothbard left Cato. Same <laughs> thing, right? I mean, and then, yeah. But anyway, so... Uh, that's been, that's been my position was for a long time is that it's been like that. Now, recently with Dave Smith and Tom Woods and a lot of these really mm-hmm. good guys, I have a lot of respect for a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of good things have come from those guys. I, they're taking over. They've done a lot of great things. Mm-hmm. Um, I still hesitant to throw my flag behind them. If you know what I mean, just yeah. because, if there's one thing that history teaches us is that uh, conquest law, if um, any organization that is not explicitly right wing eventually becomes left wing mm. and um, yeah. that's, what's going to happen again. If I were to make a prediction, I could be wrong, yeah. but if I were to make a prediction, that's what's going to happen again is these guys are going to do great work. They're going to take it over and they're going to spread the message for, for a good little while. And then eventually over time, they're going to get degraded and infiltrated and they're people that they believe are their allies in that group. They're going to turn or their leftists are going to turn a lot of them. It's mm-hmm. what happened in the Republican party. It would, yeah. ha- it, it, that's exactly what happened with the neocons. Um, it yeah. happened, it happened in um, Rothbard's first try before the libertarian party, which was the SDS and YAL, uh, not YAF, YAF, um, Young Americans for Freedom, I believe. Was oh, the yeah. Organization that mm-hmm. those two, he brought those two together to try and create a movement. What happened? The left went totally crazy. YAF said we're out, and it collapsed basically. Um, and then the Libertarian Party happened. Then I, I just don't, I don't understand why people are so insistent on repeating the errors of someone who made them multiple times and finally realized, Hey, we can't do this anymore. We got to do something else, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's just part of what the left and progressivism is. It's, it's total control. So you can't, you can't negotiate with these people because they'll always come back for more. Right. And, and this goes back, I mean, maybe not with libertarianism, but in general, in the history of the world, you can look at like, okay, so I talk a lot about Trotskyists and the Mensheviks, right? I mean, that's who the neocons are. They're, they're Trotskyists, right? They're ex-Trotskyists. Um, they're these guys. Uh, if you want to read more about this, you can read a, You can literally read the book, the, the neoconservative agenda, I believe it's called, written by Irving Kristol. He talks about how, um, you know, we need to create a new movement out of, you know, the, uh, I forget the exact term that he used, but basically like the displaced left, the anti-Stalinist Trotskyites that um, didn't really, uh, that, that felt displaced after Stalin took power. And it's, I, I, I hesitate to get into detail on this because this could be its own podcast, but sure. Basically, um, Trotsky, with his French turn, if you've ever read anything about the French turn, um, went in and tried to flip a few parties um, during the during that era and uh, was successful in infiltrating several of them, uh, used a lot of um, 
rhetoric to begin to convert people's ideas, uh, exclude people that were not part of those parties, mm. and eventually took them over and won and started <laughs> started to 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 basically spread the, that ideology throughout a lot of France. And many people today will point to that point in history and say, this is where a lot of Europe had a lot of trouble is because there were elements that were not obvious, um, that were not outspoken, that weren't marching with a communist flag in the street saying, you know, the exact same thing, but with a different label. And that's what happened to the Republican party. And again, all the way up to the libertarians. And it, it, it just, it, it makes me so frustrated. You know, it frustrates yeah. me to see as someone, I, I don't claim to be a historian. I'm definitely not. I can't speak well enough about history to claim that I'm an historian, but I can see these themes throughout history yeah. and people are so determined to repeat these same errors. Yeah. And it's like, guys that like Rothbard made this mistake two or three times. He finally learned his lesson. He said, okay, we're going to make the paleo libertarian movement. We're going to join together with the old, right? These are the guys that we really need to align with. And then they had success. I mean, they, they had success. They, they, it kind of fell apart after um, the, the polit- some of the political aspirations um, didn't come to fruition, but how much closer was that than anything that the libertarian party has done? Yeah. Like how, how, like talk about, talk about cutting your own foot off. I mean, like, look how close we got. And, and I won't say anything bad about Hoppe. I never will never say a bad word about him, but he kind of was in the space a little bit too. When he was like, you know, you guys have got, you know, you paleocons and you, you old, right. You're not, you're not coming our way. And he has a very valid point there is that if you align with somebody, there's gotta be some crossover, right? And the crossover Mm -hmm. was old, right. You need to come our way on economics and we need to come your way on strategy and traditionalism. Um, And we came their way and they didn't come all the way back our way. And that kind of probably pissed Hoppe off and pissed a lot of people (laughs) off and we just let it collapse. And I think that that was, it, for the time, um, I don't think that the old right had learned their lesson quite as well as they have now, um, especially in the the post-Bush um, era with all of these troubles and problems we're having overseas and the endless wars and all of that. But um, I think they're more ready than ever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know because I'm chairman of our county GOP, mm-hmm. um, and I know like in our party – you know, neocons of slander, like that, that's not something you want to be. And, but you know, we, we're rural, we're grassroots and how wonderful and is that? Yeah. It's awesome. You uh, know? Isn't that amazing? Like for, for the first time in history, you can walk in and call someone a neocon in a GOP in a yeah. GOP meeting and they'll take offense to that. Yeah. That is just awesome. Yeah. And you'll have someone stand up, he's an ex Trotskyite, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's awesome. You know, it's encouraging. That's great. Uh, yeah. And, um, and that's kind of what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, take over at the local level, like county government. And, you know, that's where you can see some change. Whereas, you know, just like kind of talking about the LP or national strategy, it's like everything is so embedded up there. Yep. And all the powers that be, it's like, you know, and again, you're one vote in millions and millions of votes. Right. 
And, you know, there, there are power brokers in politics, right? And power mm-hmm. brokers care far more about Washington than they do your local GOP branch, right? right? So yeah. that's where it needs to start. And that is really, I mean, Tho has done some really great work, I know, as yeah. well, and with Bay County and that he's making really good progress there. And if we had, if we had, you know, uh, a thousand of you and Tho in these, in these GOP areas, like uh, a fifth of the libertarian party's um, influence going out to these GOP County GOP offices and meetings and getting involved. Can you imagine what we could do? Yeah. We could, we could exactly. change, we could change the face of the United States. Exactly. Um, and, and I think, you know, my ultimate goal of course is I'm a separatist, right? Like mm-hmm. fully believe in decentralization. I believe that um, the American experiment, uh, I, I don't want to say failed, I, I want to say that the American experiment never happened because mm. it never, it was never given the chance to happen. There were too many, um, there were too many, uh, I guess uh, <laughs> there was too much opposition to the idea of the American experiment over time that um, the, the, the rights of the States to be independent, kind of their own Mm. independent little countries just never happened. There's too many federal laws and it, it grew further and further through centralization. And then, you know, with the, with the advent of the constitution, and and I'm sure this is the same way now as it was when I was going to GOP meetings back in the days, you you don't want to say anything bad about the constitution. Oh no. Um, (laughs) and, And I'm hesitant to even say it now because to be honest at the time, the constitution was a novel idea, right? Especially right. the bill of rights and things like that. And then mm-hmm. the men that created it, Thomas Jefferson specifically being an anti-federalist and opposing the formation of the bill of rights was like, well, if we, if we list out the rights that people have, then that's going to mean that they don't have any other rights, which was right. why the ninth amendment was written. Right. Which is mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the enumeration of these rights don't necessarily mean that people don't retain other rights. Right. But right like how many people have you heard of that you've talked to know anything about the ninth amendment, right? Like not not many. I mean, they're like nine. I mean, I know there's 10, I know one and two and maybe four, but what's nine. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, so there's, there's a lot to be said um, in regards to America and with the formation of the constitution and how it was kind of a step backward from the articles of confederation. Right. Mm -hmm. It was, um, and there's a whole lot of theory and history that goes along with that. There's some interesting thoughts about, you know, why Jefferson was out of the country when that happened. And he was in yeah. France at the time. And there's a whole lot of political posturing. And this, we get back to mm-hmm. Hoppe's what Hoppe says is don't trust yeah. politicians. Right. And yeah, no kidding. We found that out in the beginning. <laughs> so right. anyway, I I'm, I'm, I'm happy with, we have the second amendment, right. I'm happy that mm-hmm. we have the first amendment, but there's, there's just better options and there's better better ways to do things. And I think that we're learning that. And I think um, many people are questioning the democratic ideas um, that we've held so dear for so long, right? Like mm-hmm. we're a democracy. We're way better than you old monarchies. Yeah. Well, not really, <laughs> yeah. not today. Not if you compare today, you know, like if we were to compare England in 1776 to America in 2021, you're going to have some hard time there trying to prove that we're more free than they were. Um, right. 
Uh, I mean, you got to get a license to do your nails or, right. or to do someone else's nails. You know, I, I can't imagine like, like King George would have probably been like, oh, that's a little much, guys. You know, yeah. like <laughs> right. and uh, that. But that spirit, though, talks about this. And I thought it was one of the best quotes maybe that he's ever done is what made America great was not um, not democracy or our institutions, but uh, the spirit of rebellion. Yeah, and that. That is what it to me. That's what it means to be quintessentially American is yeah, to agree. be a to be a rebel to to oppose things and say we're not going to take this and yeah. we'll fight you if you try. You know that's yeah, exactly that's not that's not a European concept. My wife is European. That's not okay. you know that's not um, that's not a European thought. It's um, mm-hmm. it that is a very American thought to say you know we're gonna if you don't let us be free, we're going to kill you. You know, like that's, that, that's a very, that's a very American thing. And uh, going all the way through the, through the civil war, I mean, it was, you know, there's a whole lot of, I'm a, I guess you could call me a neo-Confederate, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, whatever. I mean, go ahead and call me a neo-Confederate. It doesn't bother me, but the South is um, the South at the time. Murray Rothbard said, and I fully agree with him. The only two just wars that America ever fought were the American revolution and the war for Southern independence. Yeah. And I fully believe that, um, I, you know, I was raised a Southern my whole life, grew up in Tennessee and, uh, the foothills of Appalachia, I guess you could say. And it's a, just a different kind of people and a different kind of, uh, thought process. And it's something that, uh, is dying out in our society. And it's something that we need to reclaim and we need to reclaim it quickly because if we don't, um, there's going to be some disastrous consequences and that, uh, it gave me a lot of hope to see what happened on January 6th. If we're being totally honest with one. Yeah. Another. Yeah. Most, most of our party was there. Actually, we, I couldn't make it because I had something going on, but we chartered two buses from that's, Michigan. That's so awesome. Yeah. It, it's um, I think, I think copying.org may have been one of the, if not the first, but one of the first um, websites to come out in absolute support of what happened. Yeah. Um, we uh, it was decided that we would write it as a staff article so no one could bear like if there was kickback which there obviously was that no one would bear any independent responsibility for it uh, we'd all yeah. share in the share in the hate and the vitriol so yeah, that article that's awesome. yeah that that I'll, article I'll look is, that up and link it to the show notes then too sure a lot of the listeners will will be interested in that yeah there was um that it's a really great article too. We got a lot of positive feedback on it, a lot of cool. a lot of retweets and a lot of shares. But yeah, check it out. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I, I think too, you know, like going back to the Constitution, um, you know, the ink was hardly dry on the thing before it all got screwed up with John Marshall. Oh you know, yeah, giving the Supreme Court the power because <laughs> yeah, you know, originally, I mean, it, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but if you have a voluntary union of states. Well, okay. I mean, that's, that's not too better. bad. Yeah, I mean, but I, I could, I could live with volunt- that. Yeah, yeah, but obviously <laughs> but, it wasn't voluntary union in 1861. You know, yeah, that. So. yeah. In, in 1861, it was pretty much like you're with us or you're against us. Yeah. And if that happened today, I, well, I'm against you. You know, like yeah. if yeah. you're going to force me to be part of some giant centralized government, um, I'm going to fight you. You know, yeah. and and it sucks because people. I'm sure people listening to this are like, "Well, why aren't? Why don't you grab a gun and go to Washington?" And I'm like, oh, well, "Are you serious? Like, yeah. that's like you're, you're this. This is such a bad argument against the idea yeah. that 
we can be fundamentally opposed to something. And that means that without any kind of organization or means or method of doing so that we should just all go crazy and, you know, yeah. move to, move to Somalia. Mean be stupid. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it means have some moral center, have some, have some foundation in what you're believing in. And I, I think there are lines in the sand that would make yeah. people do things like that. One of them for me is the second amendment. If, yeah. um, if they do away with the second amendment somehow, some way through executive order or action or something like that, mm-hmm. that's going to make a whole lot of people, including myself question what we're doing at that very minute, you know? Yeah. So things like that. And, and, you know, just to get back to, you know, the civil war and the constitution and what we're talking about, it, it's, it's important to, to realize that, like you said, it was kind of dead on the wall. It was dead on the vine as soon as it happened. Mm-hmm. Right. The entire idea was thrown out the window. I mean, right. with, with Marbury versus Madison and then like, yep. okay, well, I'm just going to infer that the Supreme court has full, full attitude at the end yeah. of the day to tell you what these laws really mean and the constitution yeah. and everything. It had else. nothing to do with the case either. Nothing. Nothing. The funniest part. Yeah. It was the biggest power Sickest grab. Part, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was the biggest power <laughs> grab in history. And it's, yeah. um, it's amazing that people, people today still don't know about that. Still don't yeah. know about that. It's, it yeah. surprises me. So, yeah. Well, you have like the Federalist Society, you know, talking about the August John Marshall. Like, <laughs> as one of the, you know, and, and when he sold the thing, he said, oh, no, we'll, ne- we'll never have that kind of power. Power. Oh, yeah. In there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then today you've got the Supreme Court making decisions on everything from uh, yeah. whether or not you can, you know, sell raw milk to, yeah, you know, own a nuclear weapon. I mean, they're doing yeah. everything. I mean, like yeah. they have they have absolute power, and it is uh, there's a fair argument to be made that we're we're not even a democracy. We are a faux democracy with a uh, with an imposed aristocracy of politicians making decisions about our lives, and that right. uh, that's rough. And anyway, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> to say aristocracy will probably piss off some of my Hoppian guys because, you know, we believe in the natural aristocracy, right? Right. The, the uh, which the is much different than much yeah. different. Yes. Yeah. Which I understand. And, um, yeah. So going back to, to Hoppe, I mean, you know, a lot of this is through the analysis kind of, of time preference. Yeah. And, and to me, seeing it through that lens, it kind of makes it all make sense because in the beginning you're like, okay, obviously he's not advocating monarchy, but he's saying it's better than democracy. And you're kind of like, well, how's that? But why don't you get in and kind of explain that? Yeah. So, so um, being, so if you look at, uh, I think the easiest way to probably explain this is saving money. Um, Mm -hmm. People that save money are uh, low time preference, right? Which is there, they are, pushing off gratification or spending of that money to uh, accumulate more and spend it more wisely at a different time. Whereas high time, high time, high time preference people uh, take money in and then they're like, it goes immediately back out. Right. Which is kind of what our society is pushed. And there's a whole argument to be made there with the fed and how that uh, it, it destroys savings and re- read Mises Institute. If you want to learn, learn yeah, about the fed right, and how right. it destroys savings, but anyway, yeah. So Essentially, um, when you're looking at uh, the monarchy versus democracy kind of aspect of this is that if you've got a singular guy in power who can be influenced and have these types of um, basically, it's hard to explain. So, so like you've got the single guy in power, right? Like if you're the you're the monarch of our six person community, right? 
it's much easier for me to convince you to do something and to do the right thing and for you to be held accountable for those things that are happening than for me to hold accountable the majority of the group who's threatening me with guns saying you're going to do it our way, right? Right. if, if I could explain it, that's how I would explain it. Right. But mm-hmm. Hoppe does a, a really fantastic job about that. And, you know, this gets into like argumentation ethics, right? Like yeah. um, it, everybody always asks me about argumentation ethics, right? Like, mm-hmm. can you explain that to me? Can you explain that to me? Because it's, it's such a, it's such a fundamental and great thing um, that, I mean, it's the largest contribution in my opinion that Hoppe has brought to libertarian philosophy. Um it, it 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 explains uh it, it subverts the natural rights theory right i mean mm-hmm. like it says you know the natural rights theory isn't good enough and we need to we need to look into how and why and uh he does a fantastic job i recommend everybody to read his little article on argumentation ethics if you have time that's awesome yeah i think um i think it was michael malice who said that you know his biggest contribution was the argumentation ethics but um, what he said about democracy is a little more fun because leftists get so triggered oh, when you tell, oh, yeah. when you tell them. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. And it, and to be honest, I recommend I recommend argumentation that article on argumentation ethics way mm-hmm. less than I do democracy because it challenges so many um, preconceptions. Right. Right. It it, yeah. it makes you question everything, and especially right. it's it's I think it's harder in some ways, as we've been talking about the constitution and all that for some right wingers to accept. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think the way that Hoppe lays it out, especially in regards to theory and history and um, how things happened and, and looking back at those times and things like that, Mm -hmm. it's much easier for a right winger to come to the same conclusions that Hoppe does, even though they can be more resistant at first. So it's kind of like, um, it's like a hard shell candy with soft center, right? You break through yeah. that hard shell and uh, yeah. it's there, right? Whereas you try and do that with the leftists and it's, it's hard all the way through. Right. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it's hard to deny that, like we were talking about that, that freedom, especially like if we were to go back and look at feudal, feudal times, right? Like where you had um, basically, Oh, well you were a surf and you know, you had, to play to pay uh, your taxes to the king and all of this. You have any idea how much easier it was to live free back then? Like to do what you wanted to do and like to get over on the tax collectors. It's not taken from your bank account, right? I mean, right. your employer isn't helping the state, right? <laughs> like, like you're making deals out in public and nobody's paying a sales tax. Right. I mean, how on earth can anyone begin to believe that this? this form of government that has totally and utterly um, sanctified the institution of the state like democracy has is a good thing, right? Like back in the day, like, Oh, it's the King, the King, you know, like it's not, it wasn't like it was in the, in the movies, right? Like not everybody loved the King, right? Like, (laughs) but everybody today, it seems like to me loves the state, right? Oh yeah. In one way or another. State of the union every year, you know, right. Right. It's one of the biggest, it's it's the biggest (laughs) event. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, Oh, we got to turn the TV on or turn the idiot box to watch the, (laughs) the, watch the, the, the mouthpiece that watch Biden drool on himself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like can't remember his words and might smell some kids, you know, like, like uh, what on earth is happening to us that this has become the, this, 
this theater of um of disgusting display of basically some form of perverted aristocracy has become what we aspire to right yeah. like you knew you couldn't be king back in the day yeah. right like nobody aspired to be the king you right. might aspire to be a knight but you weren't aspiring to be the king because you couldn't people were aspiring to to live good lives and and be the the merchant that sold the most goods and right. had his own lands and and people that worked for him and things like that now we've got people that aspire to be the president in the United States right. like what kind of goal is that mm-hmm. I, I i just don't i don't get it uh, there's there's a lot of uh and this goes into a lot of some of the things that Rothbard and Hoppe have both covered, which is the degenerate, the degeneration of culture, right? State, yeah. state plays a huge role in degenerating our culture. And um, I think that, which is why it's part of uh, the Hoppians kind of logo there, which is, uh, you know, we're all about tradition and culture and, mm-hmm. and promoting those things because it's the key way that we can fight back against the state. If you create a culture of rebellion if you create a culture of independent thought if you create a culture of people that don't even have to necessarily say i oppose the state quote unquote right Mm -hmm. if you create that culture in people they're going to spread that to their kids their kids are going to spread it to their friends these people are going to spread it to their friends and it's it's going to grow right and people say okay well we need to do education and things like that but i think it's more than education right i mean just knowing that the state is an evil institution isn't enough. You have to promote the opposite of the state, right? Like you can educate someone from here to Timbuktu, but if they're out doing drugs and, you know, like, you know, killing themselves and robbing a bank, you know, just what kind of person is that? Right. Like I'm not going to ally with that guy. I would much rather ally ally with the rural farmer who hates paying his taxes to the government and is sick of them, you know, trying to offer subsidies to his neighbors and lives a traditional lifestyle and, and generally has that spirit of rebellion than any anarchist that would say, well, well, you know, I'm going to do drugs in an alleyway and, you know, I want to promote prostitution, right? Like that's, that's not my, that's not my thing. And I don't think that those people are our best allies. Right. I agree. And I think it, it gives the idea as a whole, a bad name because people see that and I can walk down the street naked because I'm not violating anyone else's rights or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Well, hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, in, um, in Rothbard's essay about, I think it's called why paleo libertarianism. He goes into, you know, delineating these groups, right. Which is, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're all libertarians, but being a libertarian isn't enough. And mm-hmm. we need to get away from these people that call themselves modal M O D A L modal libertarians. We, today we call them lowberts, right? Like that's mm-hmm. kind of the, that's kind of the colloquial term online is these people right. are lowberts, right? Like they're, they're not, they're not serious. They're not, um, they're not paleos. They're, they may um, use Rothbard, like I said, as the, the bust in the corner of the room, their talking point, but they don't really believe what Rothbard believed in. They're just mm-hmm. using him as the intellectual stepping off point to get to where they really want to go, which is mutualism or some garbage like that, or some kind of neo-Marxist kind of ide- ideology where, you know, we're promoting 
degeneracy around every corner and the rural mm-hmm. farmer, he has to fly a trans flag and make sure his kids get his, <laughs> right. you know, junk cut off or whatever. Like that's, yeah. that's not, no, <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's no not, thing. not, yeah, that's not, that's not what hopping.org is about. No. And I definitely don't think it was what Rothbard or Mises or Hopper are about. And um, I, we got to get away from that kind of stuff. And going back to the libertarian party, you know, that's the kind of stuff. If you're not willing to expel the people that um, are like that and take control for lack of a better term, then you're going to end up seeing that those people are going to come back with a fierce vengeance and they're going to, they're going to do their best to take control over you. That's true. And I think that's, that's why these messages, you know, I think could work so well on the right is because, if you can get past those preconceived notions and say, look, all these things you hate in our society, you know, the, the trans, you know, trans in sports or, yep. you know, everything to some kind of pride month and, uh, you know, the education, all that. It's like, if you realize the ideas we push will yeah. lead, you know, to what you want. But right. when she, if you try to use the state to get it, look, I mean, as you look said, look back at history, it, right. it always gets worse. Well, look so, at the war on drugs. Look yeah. what happened. Like, yeah, exactly. like I'm not a drug user. I don't want people yeah. to be drug users. I don't want people to to die in a die in a heroin house down the street. Yeah. Like, I I don't want that. I yeah. I don't want my kids to see that. I don't want. I don't like. Yeah. I don't have kids yet, but you know, I don't want your yeah. kids or anybody else's kids yeah. to see that. I don't want children to be exposed to that. I don't want to walk down the street. Yes, do, are you going to make fun of me because I want to live in like the quote unquote idyllic era of the 1950s or the 1860s or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I absolutely do. I absolutely do want that when cultural standards are better, like the further back we go, they tend to get a little bit, a little better, you know, like not everything was perfect. I mean, definitely there were problems in history with certain cultural, cultural aspects, but you know, it's not like saying that, uh, you know, everything was bad back then. Certainly wasn't. Not everything is good now. In fact, mostly opposite. <laughs> Most yeah. of the culture is worse now than it ever has been. And the state helps promote those things. Oh yeah. Because what what is its primary function? Is to gain more power. So if it can cartelize these these minority groups together through what is now called intersectionality, right? Mm-hmm. Like then they can really control all these groups, and they need a scapegoat. What does that scapegoat classically now become? Me and you, straight white guys, yeah. right? Like we're right. the e- we're the evil monster, right? Because yeah. the state needs that evil monster, right? Yeah. So, and, and the hard thing. Sorry if I'm talking too much, but no, like, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> like like these guys that like uh, on the right, and, and it really bothers me. It, the ones that blame capitalism for these type of things. Like, no, guys, like, this is not capitalism's fault. <laughs> Capitalism is a magnifying glass of culture. It is It is anything, like, the, the I sent out a tweet the other day looking at, like, all of these game companies and stuff that went from, like, that now they all have their pride flags on their profiles, <laughs> right? Because Pride Month, they're all making, right. they're all making gay advertisements and stuff, right? Like, that's what they're doing. Well, well, look at capitalism. Look what capitalism's done. And then you look at the Middle Eastern, um, companies or their branches and none of them have done that what does that tell you that they're not they're not promoting that lifestyle because the culture in the middle east doesn't support that right they're targeting the market I right guess. they're targeting yeah. the market 100 yeah. percent, and that's what they'll always do right. is that these these capitalist companies and a lot of them aren't 
fully yeah. recognize that, right? Like there are mm-hmm. companies out there that are basically branches of the state. They're mouthpieces of the state. Twitter is one of them. They yep. uh, they promote this idea of democratic ideals and they're, you know, they, all of your major politicians are now celebrities on the internet and, you know, you can interact with them. And, you know, we want to promote and promote and provide the, the interaction between, you know, your politicians and, and you, blah, 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 blah. What are you? You're nothing but a branch of the state. Shut up. Right. You're, you're the, yeah. you're the mainstream media of the internet. Shut up. Like that's get out of my face. Like, yeah. and then you've got people that are like, well, we need to, you know, crack down on capitalism. Well, if you crack down on capitalism, all that's going to do is make these companies go further into state hands. Yeah. That's yeah. literally all it's going to do. Look at the airline industry, right? Mm-hmm. Look what happened after nine 11 with all these improved security crap and all this like the security theater with tsa what did that do it drove these companies right into the hands of the government now they get funding they get security detail for free from the government they do all of that that's what happens every single time you forced companies in the hands of the state and you're going to get more of the same support these companies and let them know who you are that you want a culture that is a certain way uh, right. Tell them we don't want you in our community if you're going to do this. Right. Like, get together with your neighbors. If you've got a gas station in your town that's promoting Pride Month and you don't like that and that's against your beliefs, get out there and tell the company. Write right. them a letter from the town. Like, do you know what that'll happen? They'll stop doing that crap. Exactly. Because exactly. they want to sell gas, right? right? That's what they're doing. Yeah. And, and if Philip 66 is saying, hey, we're pride proud and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and, we, you know, look at our gay flag that we're flying. Guess what's going to happen? The, the people that think like that and want that, they're going to want to go buy gas from them. Right. So that's what they're doing. They're, they're just doing that. So yeah. I guess my message, my message on that is don't drive companies into the hands of the state because you think that, you know, using state power is going to do that. It's not whenever somebody else takes it back over, they're just going to do the opposite. And then eventually these, all these companies become nationalized and then you have an even worse problem, right? Because regardless of what people think, there are good companies out there that don't want to do this stuff. Um, Chick-fil-A comes to mind. I know that they kind of, they kind of, uh, you know, went back on what they were saying a little bit, but they're still doing it. Know, still mm-hmm. pushing, you know, their own agenda, and they're still making a ton of money. Yeah, they, they like, have like the best service too. They do. It's amazing, yeah. and it's <laughs> like, why, why would you want to drive? Why would you want to hurt Chick Fil A? Right. Right. All you're going to get is them to either be more neutral because now the government's involved, right? Right. Or they're going to take up the state line, and what's the state line at the moment? Opposite of their own agenda. So do you really think the gay company down the street is going to care two craps? You know, if they're, if they're taken over subsidized by the state, they'll welcome that. Right. So at the end of the day, you know, do the best you can to, to shop where you want to shop that uh, helps promote your ideas. I know that's really hard these days. I know it is. Trust me. Um, But when you got the opportunity to do something, if it's a couple bucks more to support the company that you like, that is, not doing these types of things, do it. Um, and uh, realize that the power center is not capitalism, that it is again, a magnifying glass of culture, work on the culture. And eventually you're going to see these companies go the opposite way or they'll get replaced. That's right. what happens. Yeah. yeah. That's a great point. Um, 
So you got to get going or you got a few more minutes. Yeah, we can keep I don't going. Wanna, I want to respect your time, but I'm, I'm really enjoying the conversation. Yeah, so, me too. So, yeah. So, selfishly, I like it. But <laughs> um, yeah, I agree 100%. And another thing kind of, kind of on that note, a little different is, you know, on the right, people generally know that capitalism is quote good as, you know, as opposed to socialism, but they don't really know what it is because they'll say, Oh, it's the free market. I'm like, dude, that's not the free market. Market. (laughs) That's crony capitalism. And it's like, when you say that to like, you know, people on the left or people aren't really political, then they think, oh, this is capitalism when they're getting, you know, bailed out like these big yeah. banks and stuff. And it's yeah. like, dude, you're just hurting it. Like, just don't talk about it if you're going to do that. That, yeah. Like, if you, uh, it is better to remain silent and thought of an, uh, thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Yeah. That, uh, love that quote. Like, if you, if you don't have anything intelligent to say, just be quiet. Yeah. Um, that being said, you shouldn't stay quiet. You should learn. Yeah. Should yeah. educate yourself, uh, yeah. do the best you can to figure out why this, you know, these people are either besting you in arguments or, mm-hmm. um, you know, are making better arguments than you are. I always learn. I learn a lot from yeah. the people that I oppose. Uh, Trotsky read a lot about Trotsky, read Trotsky's books. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a brilliant, scary person. Yeah. Um, probably my opinion, he was worse than Stalin. I'm, I'm actually, really? grateful wow. that that stalin <laughs> like i don't want to say that stalin killed him but that that stalin won that because mm-hmm. even though stalin my wife is a ukrainian so she beat me if i said that but um <laughs> uh stalin was a horrific murderer right like he was yeah. he committed a genocide against ukrainian people and right. killed millions of them destroyed culture um mm-hmm. this is another this goes back into culture right like yeah. what was the first thing that the communists did when they came into all of these baltic countries and all these other countries they destroyed their local culture they right. painted over frescoes they destroyed local literature they imprisoned poets and mm-hmm. and writers they um they, they they told latvians ukrainians and uh romanians or not romanians but um maybe romanians but anyway they they told ukrainians latvians the baltic states all of them you don't get to speak your language anymore you're speaking russian my wife today they're still they're still dealing with the the um the problems that that caused they're they're trying desperately in ukraine right now to recover a lot of these uh, lost pieces of literature, uh, uncover the painted frescoes, restore the churches. Um, they're, they're now trying to make sure that Ukrainian children speak Ukrainian and not Russian. Um, she speaks both languages fluently. Mm-hmm. She grew up in that post-Soviet era. Her parents, her parents, who are native Ukrainians, barely speak Ukrainian. Wow. That's, that's hard. Can you imagine... Yeah. Can you imagine a foreign culture coming to America and saying, you don't get to speak that way anymore? Right, right. You're going to speak Chinese Chinese or something. Yeah. Yeah. But but to to a northerner, and you may see where I'm going with this, to a northerner, Mm -hmm. that, that seems insane. Right. But go to Alabama and ask anybody around if they have a southern dialect. It's dying. That's what happens. That's what happens. And there, there's a there's a very interesting guy on uh, Twitter and TikTok who has a very thick Southern accent. They said the Smithsonian contacted him 
because it's becoming so rare they wanted to record his voice. Can you imagine That's wild. seeing an American piece of American culture, Southern culture destroyed like that? Ukrainians aren't special in that regard. It's right. happening right here. It's happening right. in the United States. It happened after 1861. What, mm-hmm. what, what, do, what do Southerners get told when they speak in a Southern accent? You sound stupid. You sound mm-hmm. like oh, you're uneducated. What did they tell Ukrainians? Same thing. That's what happens when you have an overwhelming leftist state take over something. They destroy who you are. And the number one thing you can do is make sure that they never take that from you or that you preserve it any way you can, any way possible. And uh, I'm a victim of that as well. Like I said, I grew up in the South. You don't hear a Southern accent from me, do you? Mm-mm. I trained myself out of it when I was like 12 or 13. Really? Yeah. And I did that because the dominant culture at the time when I moved back to a more city area was that you sound like an ignorant hick. Mm. So now I've lost it forever. I've, I've trained myself out of it. So that's rough. I mean, I'm not, not don't feel pity for me. I mean, like it sucks, but like at the same time, like it goes to my point, right? Like Mm -hmm. I've experienced this personally. My wife's experienced this personally. These are the types of things you got to worry about. Because it's not doesn't happen all at once, or very rarely happens all at once. Right over time, they take the boiling over. frog. It is. It's, it's exactly what it is. It's a boiling frog, and I. Some of the southern guys that follow me may hate me for saying this, but it's our fault. We let it happen. We, when the carpetbaggers, to use a term, <laughs> um, came in, we didn't route them. We didn't tell them to leave. We didn't do everything possible to prevent their takeover. We didn't try and separate ourselves out in any possible way. Mm-hmm. It just happened. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you're from the North. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I'm from Michigan, but so, I, I call so, yeah. it the war for Southern independence sure. or so, uh, yeah. the war of Northern aggression. And, and so. please believe me when I say, if you're, if you're from the North and you're listening to this, I don't hate you. I'm not no, no, like I, that. I'm not like that at all. Like, uh, as Rothbard said, um, I may not be from the South, but I believe believed in the war for Southern independence and in the glorious tradition of Copperheads. I will declare myself a Copperhead because I uh, I supported that movement, and uh, I may not you know I may not be from the South, but that's who I am. So, encourage yeah. uh, encourage everyone if you supported the the war for Southern independence to call yourself a Copperhead. So we're okay. We're brothers from a different area, you know, like that's all we are. And, And, you know, just to, just to get back to the point is uh, make sure that you are preserving those traditions. Make sure that you are, um, that that you're ensuring that the next generation, your children, make sure you're having children uh, Mm -hmm. understand those traditions, even if they aren't Southern traditions, right. If there are other traditions, if they're part of who you are, make sure that you're passing those on, make sure you're passing what you believe on to them as well. Because the state is otherwise the state is going to pass something to to them. Right. Right. And this is what has happened. Look at the state of public education, all these children going off to college and they come back and they hate their parents. They hate yeah. religion. They hate their traditions. They mm-hmm. hate everything that they are. And they've done everything possible to not be that anymore. Right. This they're is, really, they're really trying to create, you know, the new, the new man or woman. Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Because that's what going back to 
um, what the Russians did. Look what the Russians did. Um, yeah. They they were trying to create that person as well. That's what uh, that was the goal in trying to enforce the Russian language on all these other countries. Is that we will create the perfect race. We will create the perfect people. Right, and that perfect mm-hmm. people is a unified people, because if you can't control independent, you can't control independently uh, identified cultures. Right, it's much mm-hmm. easier to say you're a Russian, you're going right. to do what Russians do, right? Not you're a Ukrainian, you're going to do what Russians do, right? Right, and that's what happened in the United States too. Is you're not a Southerner, you're an American, right? Yeah, the, the one people narrative, right? Exactly, and. That's the scary. That's the scariest thing because that's Hoppe talks about this as well as the the uh, totalitarian push towards egalitarian social control is happening across the world, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you look at, I keep using Ukraine as an example, but it's such a good example. If you look at the IMF and the World Bank, do you know what they're doing right now in, in Ukraine? They're no, the, they're telling Ukraine you've got to do this, this, and this create these laws and do these things. Uh, and then we're going to give you money. I see. So some of the things seem innocuous. Some of the mm-hmm. things seem right, but not all of them. Right. And that's where they get you is over time. They're going to make you Western quote unquote, a Western liberalized country, right? Like you're not going to be that anymore. So in many ways, and I'm sure my wife would disagree with me, but um, in many ways, they've traded one totalitarian, uh, egalitarian uh, super society for another. And for that reason, I, I, uh, I have kind of some respect for these crazy dictator countries like Gaddafi and, and Assad, because they've said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to be our own people and we don't care about your money. Not, that's not to defend the horrifying things that some of these right, people right. have done, but in some ways they see it, right? Mm-hmm. They see that control and they're rejecting it. Right. And honestly, if some of the states in the United States did that, we'd be better off. Yeah. Florida is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like what DeSantis did during the COVID. Yeah. He said, fuck you. We're going to do what we want to yeah. do. Absolutely. That, that's wonderful. I mean, that's, yeah that kind of rejection of the overall state narrative, regardless of DeSantis's other political positions right. is, is great. Yeah. Um, if we had more people doing things like Gavin Newsom does in, in California and other States and more right wing States, we'd have a much better country. Like, can you, like, I can't really name another state that the left reviles, like we revile California, you know, like, mm-hmm. We need that. We need that bastion of the the counterexample, right? We need the anti-California. Right. And I think, I think so very much, uh, this is just my opinion, wants Florida to be that anti-California, you know? And I hope yeah. he gets his way. I hope he gets what he wants because I think that the uh, – I've got a strategy that uh, pushed on Twitter for a very long time, and people like to remind me about it when I make – dumb statements and uh the strategy is basically um do everything you you know promote gun rights do everything you can to promote uh separation and difference between people because Mm. to oppose that uniculture to oppose um that integration is one of the hardest things 
to get people to accept. And the more that we do that, the more division and the more, um, you know, the more you say to regular people, wouldn't it be better if we just go do our own thing, the more that that'll, that more that that will spread to others. And eventually we're going to come to a point where we're either going to say, okay, well, we're just going to go our own ways and we're going to do our own thing and it'll be great and be peaceful and be really nice or it'll get to a head. Right. Right. And I would much rather either of those two scenarios happen than the uniculture scenario where we all come together and we're all centrists and we all compromise. And yeah, you know, that, that, that is, that's the death of civilization in my mind. Yeah. That's uh yeah. I, I totally agree with you there. Um, yeah. I think it, it's pretty interesting, you know, being, you know, red pilled, so to speak on the, on the war for Southern independence, because obviously it's, you know, very, um, the word, uh, you know, they, they teach you then, the, you know, the mainstream narrative of course, oh, yeah. up in the North. So when I'll say something about, you know, I've got Tom DeLorenzo's Lincoln book back <laughs> here and, you know, when I'll, it'll say, uh, you know, Lincoln, blah, 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 I'll be like, dude, he's a tyrant. And, you know, people just kind of look at me like, yeah, what? Well, you know, yeah. but, uh, I, you know, but it's the same thing. It's like, no, I'm not, you know, Southern. I mean, people tell me I sound like I'm from Canada, but um you know it's like yeah that's an insult yeah yeah yeah, true but yeah it's about self-government and you know and the whole stupid thing about slavery it's like okay if they want to fight a war and free the slaves and leave then go do it but that's not what happened so right i mean i would have been i mean given that the south lost the war if if the north would have been like okay well we're freeing your slaves and you're gonna go do your own thing now but you don't get to have slaves yeah. that's a better scenario than we've got now. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that that's awesome. I mean, I'm fully yeah. supported. I, I wouldn't have supported a war that where 600 and a thousand Americans lost their lives mm-hmm. and, you know, destroyed countless aspects of our culture. Um, but at yeah. the same time, it's a way better scenario than, than the union. I mean, yeah. like, Oh, we're going to preserve the union. What What's so glorious about a union? Like yeah. a forced union is no union at all. It is right. a, it is it is a dictatorship by the winners, and um, it, it 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 disheartens me when even when I hear Southerners say that type of stuff. Like, you, you, you <laughs> there. I remember one time when I was growing up, and there was a kid that came from I think it was it was either New England New England or Massachusetts, and we were in middle school at the time, and he's like, we were having a history class, and there, and he was like. Um, so why, why are you, I think he was asking the history teacher, why, why aren't you saying how great Lincoln is or something like that? And the teacher looked at him and he was like, if your family had died in that war, would you think that that war is wonderful and that the preservation of the union was more paramount than their lives? And the kid just looked at him and he had no idea what to say. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, you know, you, you have to look at things other than, than slavery, because I, I will, I will uh, not um, toe the line that slavery was the reason and the only aspect yeah. for the war. That is absolutely absurd. And I'll yeah. argue to death with anybody that that yeah. says the case. And Lincoln's writings show that too. Yeah. I mean, I mean the, if I could the preserve old... the union, I would. If, right. Or, yeah. If I could like, free all the slaves, I would. If I don't, right. I, you know what I mean? But. Yeah, yeah, he 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 cared nothing. I mean that that was a political that was a political move, right? Yeah. Because at the time, uh, in order to um, solidify what was then the Republican Party, 
was to, well, why don't we bring these slaves in and then eventually, you know, give them all the right to vote and, you know, give it, give, cause that's another voter base, right? right. It, it, mm-hmm. It's, it's the state. And this, this is where the left learned from, right. from these people is that if we can create these different voting bases and appeal to them all, then mm-hmm. we'll win because eventually yeah. we can bring in more people. We can flood the United States with more immigrants. And yeah. what, what, how do immigrants vote? Well, why are they coming here? Because their country sucks, right? Like right. they don't want to live there. They don't want to live there because it's leftist and it has, it's an egalitarian society. And it's, uh, it's not doing nearly as well as the United States with all its evil fascism. Right. So um, at the end of the day, it's, um, we would do very well to learn some things from the left being on mm-hmm. the right is not, does not mean that we are the key strategists because if, if history has shown anything, it's that the right sucks at strategy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we suck. Uh, we, we have the moral superiority. We have the, the high ground on intellect and debate and things like that. But when it comes to getting things done and strategic orientation, we generally suck. And uh, that that's kind of to be expected, right? Like mm-hmm. the people that are more intellectual and um, more uh, intelligent in the matters of culture and things like that tend to not be the people that you would expect to be a politician, right? Right. Like you expect the lowest common denominator of society to be politicians, which is ultimately why most of them are on the left. Mm-hmm. Um, Republican party, notwithstanding, uh, plenty of leftists in the Republican party Um, far more than anybody would like far more than most old right in the Republican party would like. Right. Right. So it's um, I mean, we can get in and talk about this and uh, what's her name, Cheney and all that garbage. (laughs) But, uh, but like that, like her removal says a lot about the direction that we're headed and could, could head. And uh, I think that, we ignore uh, libertarians, especially ignore that movement uh, at our own peril, because ultimately what will happen, and I guarantee this will happen um, being a little bit of a profit right now, and it could be totally wrong, but I guarantee you what will happen is if we do not get involved in that aspect of society, we do not try and sway people to our way of thinking. You're going to see a reemergence of old style progressivism in the in the vein of Woodrow Wilson and Teddy Roosevelt, and that is a horrifying idea, because um, if it, as anybody knows knows anything, Roosevelt was the first progressive. He was the first president to really push the egalitarian and equality narrative. Uh, mm-hmm. He shot a lot of stuff, and he looks like a real rough dude and all of that. Yeah. But at the end of the day. He, he was doing things that the culture didn't want. He was pushing for women's rights, women's rights to vote. He was pushing for uh, black equality and all sorts of different things that were the anti-culture to create a new kind of egalitarian super state. Uh, that, that's really where he wanted to go. He, went, he was an expansionist, too. I mean, right. he wanted to expand into South America. He wanted to be the next president to, to do the Louisiana quote, quote unquote, Louisiana purchase. Can you imagine America today? If it included South America, I mean, (laughs) what, what would we be like? There would be no aspects of our culture left. Like there are very little as it is now. I mean, right. So we've got to oppose that. We've got to oppose that Roosevelt style quote unquote Republicanism 
And uh, yeah. if we don't, well, we're going to pay the price. Yeah, yeah. Cultural imperial imperialism, for right. sure. Um, yeah, and that's the thing, too, you know, kind of going back to how this all relates to democracy is, you know, just like this past year, you know, the majority of people, they tune in to one of the three-letter networks yep. and listen to what they say, and they're all pushing pretty much same thing you know the fear peddling get your vaccine wear your mask you know destroy your kids lives you know we got to save one life so it's worth it and to me that's what really made me look around and be like you know man people are dumber than i thought they're more afraid and they you know they don't care as much about freedom and liberty as i thought yeah Uh, generally people will look for safety over freedom every single time right Mm -hmm. Which is why a lot of expansionist ideologies and expansionist governments have had a lot of success in going into underdeveloped nations and taking them over is because these people provide a sense of safety and stability that they would have otherwise not had or at least couldn't or at least initially couldn't develop on their own. So it's the same thing with a lot of uh, areas in the United States with um, what, what was the primary driver of becoming a state you got to say, right? Right. You got to say, you didn't have a say when you were a territory, but you got to say when you're a state, right? Right. And that's, that, that's, that's it. It's the promise of power. And, um, that power you never really get. It's a, it's a deal with the devil, right? Yeah. So with, with all that in mind, um, I guess we kind of touched on, you know, moving forward, but, you know, do you have any, I guess, words of wisdom, things that people can kind of take from, you know, our conversation, uh, you know, fr- from any of these works we've discussed and, and to put it into practice to kind of fight back against, you know, everything that's going on? Yeah. Um, like I said, you know, preserve your culture. Um, mm-hmm. If you've lost it, try and recapture it. If you don't have the means, there are lots of books out there. There are lots mm-hmm. of books I'm not saying go out and pretend to have a Southern accent or (laughs) dress up like a Southern dandy or anything, but there are certain aspects of culture that you can reclaim and then you can put into practice, right? Mm -hmm. Simple things like being thrifty and and being a a saver, right? Right. A lot of our great grandparents and grandparents were hardcore savers. Yeah. Um, Become a saver, teach your kids to be savers. Um, make sure that they understand why saving is important. Make sure that they understand why the Fed, for instance, is a destruction of who they are because they destroy their savings. Um, that's, but that's just one aspect. There are lots of things in culture that you can, that you can seek to preserve, uh, traditions and you know celebrations and things like that, and why why you think the way you think and who you are. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's number one to me. Um, Maybe another one would definitely be to sow that division wherever you can. Um, wouldn't it be better if we could just live, do our own thing and live our own way? Yeah. More people than not are are surprisingly accepting of that um, of that narrative. Um, yeah, California independence movement—that's yeah. they're all basically leftists and they want to do their own thing. Great. Yeah, yeah exactly. I support you. I support you 100. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Like yeah. you're, you're not stepping on my toes. I'll, I'll help them pack their bags. Yeah, I'll open the door and see you. I'll see you out. I'll, I'll pay for yeah. your gas money. Bye. You know. Yeah. Um, I think that um, opposing the 
some ex-Californians that think they're right wing that are moving to Texas and other states mm. like that, they probably think that, you know, they're really right wing and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I really think that a lot of native Texans and na- native other state dwellers should be opposing those people coming there. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't think not promoting you do any kind of violence against people like that. Absolutely. Right. not. But I would not include them in your um, cultural celebrations and your, um, in your hierarchy at home. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, uh, make any overt effort to become friends with those people. I would do everything passively nonviolently that I could to make sure that they felt that they weren't welcome. Um, make sure that they know that they have to earn your trust to become part of your community. Um, and if they're not willing to do that, then they should leave. Uh, there, there are ways that we can remove those people through ostracism, that many people don't take the advantage and opportunity to do because a lot of Southerners are hospitable people, right? Mm -hmm. They are, uh, come on in, I'll feed you. I'll, you know, make you part of my family, blah, blah, blah. That's who we are. That's who Southerners have been for a very long time. And we got to learn not to be that way with other people. We need to learn to be exclusionary. We need to learn to um, make sure that, the people that we trust and bring into our groups uh, believe the same things that we do, or we're going to lose those things that make us those people. Right. Yeah. So uh, do everything you can to promote separation, do everything you can to promote preservation of culture. Uh, gun rights is huge. Um, lots of good organizations out there doing really great work. Talked about firearms policy coalition out there earlier, doing those types of things, uh, support those people. Um, and then I I would say, educate yourself as much as you possibly can, um, read democracy, the God that failed. Um, I know that we didn't get too deep into a lot of the, a lot of the themes and thoughts in the book, but there are so many great, (laughs) like so many great small sections in there that you just read and you got to read three or four times and you're like, wow, you know? never would have ever guessed that that this is the way it is, but he's right. He's right. And there's no, there's no way around it. Uh, Read read about argumentation ethics. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're a libertarian and you think that, you know, libertarianism read argumentation ethics, because if you ever get into any kind of debate where people are trying to make you prove your theory, the first thing they're going to do is make you make a priority or arguments, which is going back up deductively. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you only get so far with natural rights arguments, right? Mm-hmm. You need that foundation. You need that logical proof with argumentation ethics. If you're going to be a good debater, you need to be able to talk about argumentation ethics. If you're a libertarian, um, read my book when it comes out. <laughs> oh yeah. What, what's your book called? Um, it's called the nature of order. Okay. Um, it's basically expanding on a lot of Hoppe's thoughts, um, mm-hmm. expanding on what it means to be right wing. Um, mm-hmm. It, uh, it is a, it's going to have a couple of sections regarding argumentation ethics and expounding upon in that, because I look at argumentation ethics as a logical proof. And mm-hmm. I came to the same conclusions that Hoppe did. People may not believe this, but I came to the same conclusions that Hoppe did through a different method to different people. Um, Hoppe came to argumentation ethics through discourse ethics with Habermas, uh, Habermas with his PhD, um, 
professor. And uh, Habermas is a smart guy. He's still far too leftist for me to ever consider recommending any of his works. But um, Hoppe got a lot from him. And uh, the not saying that his not saying argumentation ethics was born out of Habermas. Just saying that Hoppe got a lot of uh, good feedback and ways to think about things through Habermas, right? You can learn mm-hmm. things about philosophy and the way to think from other people. So um, that's really good. And I'll, I'll talk about that. I'll talk about um, the natural order and yeah. um, expound upon that because that may be one of the aspects of Hoppian thought that is not as well fleshed out as it should be. I'd yeah. like to flesh that out some more and then talk about how, libertarianism is right-wing and it cannot be anything other than right-wing because of the natural order and because of our embracing of hierarchy. Um, If you are an egalitarian, if you believe in equality, if you believe in uh, quote unquote civil rights, you're not a right-winger and you're not a libertarian. Uh, That will piss a lot of people off and I look forward (laughs) to those messages, but yeah, for sure. But it's true, and I'm going to lay out why. Um, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of good um, primer work in various people's work, but it's never been really combined and uh, expounded upon in kind of a universal style theory. So I want to expand upon that, and then want to expand about how, what we do to move forward. And I'll be talking about some of the things that we covered in this uh, in this podcast. We're talking about the preservation of culture and how. You know, like you you were saying, uniculture is uh, inherently destructive, and uh, that separation is it's our only path forward. Yeah, that's great. And when that book comes out, if you want to get back on and talk about it, you know, I'd be happy to have. So, I absolutely, I'd love to. Cool. Well, uh, Jared, uh, I know that people will link to uh, Hoppian dot org and uh, your Twitter handle at End Democracy. Any other plugs, links, anything like that? Um, no, just check out the site. Um, we'll have a couple of people at Revolution. Uh, Taylor Shearing, he's one of our guys. He'll be there. Hobnob with him if you can. He's a very smart guy, a very good guy. He has a degree in political science, and he's going to hate me for saying that because uh, <laughs> he, he hates politicians. But uh, he's a very smart guy and uh, very hoppy and very straightforward, and he's a very, uh, very nice guy. So definitely uh, hang out with him if you get the chance. Um, I will I'll be down there. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely yeah. took up Taylor and uh, okay. definitely uh, get to talking with him. He's a smart guy, and I, cool. I know you are too, so I think you'll have a lot in common. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. I'm just, you know, I'm newer to most of this stuff, so I'm just learning. But, you know, luckily there's just so many great resources, you know, in the day and age we live in. And, you know, smart people like yourself were willing to just, just chat with me. But that, that's kind of what I see, you know, in today's day and age when you can look up almost anything online on YouTube or read something and, and people still just don't know anything. It's yeah, I know. It's foolish. <laughs> um, it, it uh, I don't want to take up more time. I know that's kind of your outro, but one thing I got to say is, man, man, there was there was so many people back in the day that really just had never read Spooner, had never really read yeah. Rothbard. And they were out there making all sorts of really crazy like conclusions from a lot of his works. Like we got to be leftists. We got to be this and that. And you know, mm-hmm. like you, you can't vote or you're a criminal and like yeah. all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, first off, like Spooner 
recommended that you go and vote. Read No yeah. Treason. You were ripped, talking about Spinner earlier. Why aren't you like actually reading his work? You know, right, right. Like it's crazy. And then mm-hmm. like Hoppa's a fascist and all this stuff. Like, oh yeah, I've heard that. Oh too. my god, man. Like, oh, mm-hmm. and then uh, Rothbard's not a real libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> how can you say that yeah how can you say rothbard rothbard is the libertarian right mr like, libertarian yeah like you can't say that like it's so dumb like yeah it, it's uh it, it's in, infuriates me but that's yeah. that's really where the genesis came from of hoppy and dot org and um yeah i hope in the future that we'll we'll expand some more get some more people under our umbrella get some more writers if you want to be a writer anybody wants to be a writer out there definitely get in contact with either the Twitter account, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, minds, gab, we're on all of them. Uh, check out our pin tweet. Uh, if you want to write for us, current events, uh, theory, history, philosophy, anything we accept at all, as long as it's under kind of a, a hop of view of philosophy and history. If you want to submit those articles, submissions at hopian.org, shoot us an email. We'll give you the, uh, the recommendation standards and then uh, we'll publish your work. Awesome. Well, hey, check out hoppian.org. Check out uh, Jared's book when it comes out. And uh, Jared, hey, thanks a lot for uh, for uh, coming on the show today. Sorry, ran over a little bit, but I really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Uh, if, uh, if you ever want to have me back on, just let me know. Okay, sweet, man. All right. Thanks, Darren. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. What is democracy? What is democracy? Got something to do with young men killing each other. When it comes to my turn, will you want me to go? For democracy, any man would give his only begotten son.